Um, so today, um, this is the third week of Rooted. I'm going to read uh, from the memory verse, the third week of Rooted. I hope you're doing the memory verse. That's part of the Rooted experience. So I was going to, today I was thinking of, you know, assuming that you have all been this exciting, you know, the true honest members of the church and part of the, uh, the rooted experience, we will all, we would have all memorized the scripture to, for this week and just do that clo closing our eyes. That's what I was thinking. Uh, I think you're still ready to do it, I believe. Uh, but then I realized, my goodness, I can't remember it myself. <laughs> I'm, you know, first of all, I passed that age of remembering things, and, and second, you know, all this, all this machines and all that made me dumb, in the sense, I can't remember, I can't remember my wife's phone number sometime. All I know is it starts with 626. That's, that, that's the three number I can get so far, right? So anyway, so why don't we all stand up? for the reading of the word, let the words come on the board. So I'm not going to embarrass yourself or myself, most importantly. So let's read it together, okay? Is that okay? So this is the memory verse rooted week three. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The question today is, How does God speak to us? Does he? Does he speak? Uh-huh. I've heard people saying that God spoke to me through that sermon. God spoke to me through a book. God speaks to me through movies. It happens to me very often. Um, God speaks to us through various uh, mediums, right? But haven't you ever wondered, God, why can't you come down and talk to me like man to man in English, right? Like, you know, so that there's no, there's no confusion. Let's, let's clear this up. You know, why don't God just come to us and speak to us clearly, legibly, and plainly so that we can understand? Now, there are a couple of problems with that. First of all, the moment God speaks to you directly, your free will is in jeopardy. What does that mean? See, whenever we think of, whenever people say, I want to hear from God, very often, all of us, including myself, is saying that in a way that I have some idea about what to do. I have some knowledge I have accumulated by doing research on the specific topic and I have some conduct. I have some idea, but I want a second opinion. <laughs> 
you know, second opinion <laughs> is often, particularly you go to a doctor, the doctor gives us a diagnosis, even though we trust the doctor, it's always good to get a second opinion. Real estate, want to buy the house, trust the broker, but still want to get a second opinion. Same with the lawyer, still wants to get a second opinion. Same with the pastor. Very often people ask me, Pastor Matthew, I want to hear from the Lord. Tell me, what? can you pray with me? This is what the Lord, what does the word, what does the Lord want me to do? And then I say something to them, and they say, okay, if they like it, they will do it. If they don't like it, they go to another church where another pastor who will say exactly what they wanted to hear. Right? That's who we are. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about myself here. So we, whenever we say, you know, I want to hear from the Lord, we still think of as the subconscious mind, we are thinking, yeah, I wanted to make it very clear so that I wanted to get a second opinion from God. God, why don't you come and speak to me? Now the problem with God is the moment God speaks to you, you either do it or you die. Does that make sense? No, seriously, that's not a joke. That's why Christianity is the only religion even contemplating about these kind of questions. Why doesn't God speak to me? Muslims don't think about it. Jews don't think about it because they are afraid of God speaking to them because they know the theology. God speaks to you, you just listen or you die. That's why in the Old Testament, all that, you know, they, they didn't want to really speak. They go to Moses, 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 tell us what God wants to speak because it is always good to have a medium. Because if God speaks to you, Directly, plainly, your free will is hanging in the balance. That's why quite often, out of his mercy for us, he chooses not to speak to us directly. He uses a medium. He uses an agent for communication. Now, we all know that God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit. So that itself complicates the situation. How does the spirit speak? How does the spirit speak? Now, I don't know about you, my imagination of spirit speaking is shaped by my understanding of horror movies in Hollywood. Right? That's where I, I, I hear the spirit speaking. I haven't heard it anywhere else. Because the spirit always wants to animate physical objects so that the spirit can break into our dimension. Right? So the spirit almost always uses a medium. A medium, right? And whether you believe it or not, the Holy Spirit, as much as the evil spirit in horror movies speak that way, the Holy Spirit in the Bible also chooses very, very similar ways. For example, <laughs> in the movies you watch the evil spirit possesses people and speaks, th speaks through them. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit possesses people and speaks through them. And we call them prophets, 
prophets. Not all of them are prophets, but prophets are possessed by the Holy Spirit and they speak the very word of God saying that, thus says the Lord, right? And the, and the evil spirit gives you nightmare, but the Holy Spirit gives you dreams and visions and breakthrough into our reality for the spirit to communicate, the Holy Spirit to communicate to us. But these are all kind of supernatural event. They are all serendipitous in some way, and it's, it's not frequent. But we know in our Christian tradition, God has given us two main devices or two channels of listening to God, right? We all know that, so we, I'm going to go through that very um, quickly. So, first one, as you know, is the Holy Bible, right? The reading the scripture. Now, here is the scripture we, uh, I'm going to focus on. The first scripture, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. That's a very interesting word. God-breathed. Theopneustos. Now that, that's a very interesting imagery. I remember when our kids were uh, little and we used to buy this uh, alphabet soups. Is it still there, alphabet soups? And you have this soup and then, you know, some vegetable-based soup and then we have some pasta shape, you know, shaped in alphabets. You, you know what I'm talking about. And then we have it all this and then we kind of, you know, as, 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 a, as, as a joke, you know, we tried to, to kind of blow on the soup to make, to, to, to create different words, you know, try to get our words on the soup because, you know, to shape this, align these words in such a way that the, the, the name appears in a way, right? I'm sure you must have all done that. Now, that's kind of the picture when you say Theopneustos, which really means the Holy Spirit is kind of breathing in to animate the word for us to understand. Now the word themselves is made of pasta in, the, in some way. It is not the word that is important, the word is important, but the spirit that animates the word is the real speaking agent. Does that make sense? Because the, the problem with reading the Bible though, first of all, we want to know that the Bible is what we call is the inspired word of God. Now that is very different from quite often we understand Bible as the, for the lack of better words, we, we confuse between the literal word of God and the inspired word of God. I'm not going to go into a theological tangent here, um, just to distinguish, I'll tell you, for example, Muslims believe that the Quran, the Quran is the literal word of God. It is not written by men. It was descended from heaven to Prophet Muhammad, 
And he spoke that words, and he was just a medium, just a channel. There was none of his creativity or none of his understanding got mixed up in this because the Quran is eternal, and it is written in Arabic, and it is not even supposed to be translated into any other language because it is the very word of God spoken in Arabic, which is the language of heaven. Now, whether you believe it or not, the, what, what you see is, it is the understanding of, of the Quran as a literal word of God with no human involvement. They insist on that. But whereas in Christianity, it is a little different. God animates human authors. And God allows their creativity to come in. God allows them to study their context. That's why there are four Gospels to tell one story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So God chose these four different people from four different contexts, understanding four different audience, and asked them to communicate the same story in four different ways. So this is what we call dual authorship of the Bible. Now, the reason I am saying is, quite often when we read the scriptures, we are stuck by this understanding which is in our subconscious mind. From this very one Bible, there are over 40,000 denominations in this world. 40,000 Christian denominations. They all go to one Bible. They read in 40,000 different ways. Now, that poses a problem, right? Even though we say, oh, God speaks to me through the Scripture, we also have to pause to understand what does that even mean when God speaks to us through the Scripture. So we go to seminaries and we study text criticism and redaction criticism and context criticism and cultural criticism and all that kind of stuff on one side. On the other side, we just flip the Bible open and go with the first words we see so that itself gets confused. Does that make sense? But actually, the answer to that question, at least for me, is very simple. See, the best way to understand any book is to know the author, have a relationship with the author. I've written a couple of books. It confuses people because I've, I've uh, anyway, uh, handled some very complicated, very complex theological world religions and all that. People who don't know me will get confused. Is he really a Christian? What is exactly he says? But people who know me know what I'm thinking in that way. So that communication problem is almost always there. But when we read the scripture, the first thing we need to do is because the scripture is God-breathed or written by the Holy Spirit or animated by the Holy Spirit, we need to have an alignment between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how many seminary degrees you have, how many times you know how to recite the Bible, it is not going to be of any help. Actually, that is a problem in the Western world because we have too much knowledge. We have, too, we have such luxury of looking at reading different commentaries, and where are, whereas countries like India and China, they are, they are, they are scraping for one page of the Bible. 
where we have the luxury of different commentaries and different theological exegesis. And, and it has come to a point that, that, that we miss the real point of the author tuning to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. See, there has to be a communication between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit, without which the Bible doesn't really make any sense. I've heard of a story in a university class. A professor was uh, discussing a poem in a literary, literary class. And so he asked the students to give comments on why do they think about this poem, and one person said, well, this is a profound poem. This talks about the existential angst of humanity and our search for meaning in a, such a wonderful way. Another person said, well, that is true, but there is another layer to this poem. It, it talks about the racialized structure of our society and struggle to find our identity. Then another person said, yes, but deep inside, this poem is about the economic injustice of, of the world and, and the struggle of survival of the poor and the oppressed. And different meanings emerge. And, and then there is one guy in the corner, he was sitting there, so professor said, hey, what do you think about this? He stood up and he looked at everybody. There was a blank stare on his face. He said, I don't get any of this, to be honest with you. I think this is a love story. This is basically a boy meets a girl, they fall in love. That's all this is. That's all I read it. So everybody laughed. Come on, who is this guy? Right? Like, you know, you don't get it? So the professor was very upset. I was teaching you all these literary, literary critical methodologies and you didn't learn anything. So next week, make sure that you memorize this poem. I'm going to make you recite in front of everybody. Memorize the poem, come back, come next week, recite it in front of everybody. He said, that's not a problem. I can do it now. I have memorized it. What do you mean? What do you mean you have memorized it? Oh, I have memorized it because I'm the author. I'm, 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 the, I'm the one who wrote the poem. So, as much as I appreciate all these different meanings that emerges from the text I have written, I wrote it as a love story. That's all what I meant. But great, fantastic. Sometimes I feel Jesus feels that sitting in the pew of a church or sitting in the classroom of a seminary. The kind of meanings we come up with because the Bible is essentially a love story. It is, like I said in the last week, God and God like man in the, that perfect intimacy between the lover and the beloved in the Garden of Eden. When it was lost, the lover comes back again to, to reestablish that intimacy as man and man like God. Now that is ultimately a love story. What Pastor Bethpas did today was actually exemplifying or demonstrating <laughs> Uh, a love story. That communion we had is a love story. That's a physical demonstration of a love story. And, and always, all I'm trying to say is that we need to know the heart of the author. We need to align with the real author of the Bible, which is the Holy Spirit, which is rarely taught in seminaries, which is rarely spoken from the pulpit. Now that is our problem. 
Now, the, the churches in China and churches in India are mushrooming, growing like crazy because they are aligned with the author of the scripture. Here, we are trying to get a second opinion from the author about what does he think from our own interpretation. What I'm saying is I'm not against any of this. Believe me, I spent seven years of my life in seminary, a major chunk of money I saved. It is fantastic. You should sometime walk across the highway and take some courses from Fuller and all that. This is all going to help. But ultimately, aligning the human spirit with the Holy Spirit is what brings us clarity from the scripture. And that then and only then the word of God can speak to us. Going to the next point, and how do we do that? How do we align ourselves with God? How do we get to know the other? How do we tune to the frequency of the Holy Spirit? And that's why God gave you the second device, which is prayer. Now prayer, <laughs> when we talk about prayer, you know, I used to wonder, why, why, why did God want us to pray? Because doesn't God know what we want already? If God knows already what I want, and God is so loving enough to provide for that need, why should I even pray? Why did God want us to pray? Does he get some kind of sadistic satisfaction of us repeating all our miseries to him? Is that the point? I'm being very candid here. See, my mom used to pack my lunch when I was a little boy going to school. Every morning before I get up, in my backpack, there will be my favorite dish, favorite snack, everything packed and ready to go. She never asked me to go every evening and kneel, kneel and ask her, Mom, can you pack my lunch for me tomorrow? Amen. She never asked me. Because she knows me. She loves me. She knows what I want. She always provided for me. And isn't that what God wants also? Okay. One of the ways to understand this. If you look at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed that prayer. Let the next verse come from Mark chapter. Let me find the notes. <laughs> Mark chapter 14, 36. You remember that prayer, right? Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Again, I can pause here and do a series on what this means. But that's not the point. Let me say, let me ask you, do you think this prayer was answered? Here is the Son of God who knew exactly why he came for. He came exclusively for drinking this cup the Son of God. But there is also in him, there is a Son of Man. See, he is this perfect mixture of the Son of God and Son of Man and who sympathizes with, who understands our pain and agony, who himself has gone through this agony and the Son of Man. So there is this Spirit with capital S and the Spirit with small s combined in one person. So knowing fully well that he is here to drink this cup and the Son of Man asked this prayer, has this prayer, can you remove this cup from me? Now the question is, do you think that prayer was answered? 
The quick answer is no, <laughs> because eventually he had to drink the cup. But, and the second part of that verse says, yet not my will, but your will. That's very interesting because that particular phrase was repeated in two major prayers of Jesus. One is the Lord's Prayer, and the, prayer, the second is the prayer of Gethsemane. That one phrase repeats, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here. And the same prayer here in Gethsemane, the Lord says that not my will but you will. What happens there? I'm going to give you a pictorial depiction of what's going to happen. Can you bring up that picture? So I drew this in a picture of soil. I'll give you, a, these are three stages of how that prayer is working. Okay? This happens in a typical prayer of ours. So we have this bigger circle, which is the Holy Spirit, or we can say that's the will of God which Holy Spirit knows, and the bigger upper circle. And then there is a smaller lower circle, which is me who is praying, the small S spirit. I am praying for something. Now in prayer, what really happens is, or what should really happen is, that I am lifting the smaller circle all the way up, and so there is an overlap of finding the God Spirit, tuning the God Spirit, aligning with the Spirit of God. Now that, that little green area, the overlap area, is what I would call a miracle zone. Because when our will is aligned with God's will, when we discover God's will for us in prayer and conform to His will, now that is where the miracle happens. Now in a perfect prayer, like Jesus prayed, our human spirit should go all the way up and completely merge with the Holy Spirit. Or our human will should be submerged in the will of God. Now that is where, you know, in later chapter we read in the scripture, cease not to pray, which really means not walking around and praying. It really means that we live a life where our will is completely submerged in God's will. There is no smaller circle, there is no upper circle, but you are perfectly tuned to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. Now that's why God gave us prayer as a spiritual exercise. Prayer is a workout. Just like your body has a workout, your mind has a workout, in the same way the spirit has only one workout, which is prayer. Prayer is not about changing God's mind. Prayer is finding God's mind. And quite often in, we are taught from, right from Sunday school to go and bring that upper circle all the way down. That's what we are taught. God, here is the thing, and this is what I want. Can you somehow come, somehow coerce God's will into my will? That's what I'm taught. It is okay for us to share our prayer request. It's okay to ask God what we want, just like Jesus did. He said, would you remove this cup from me? It is perfectly fine. But in that three-stage process, in that workout Jesus did in Gethsemane, he realized the upper circle, you know, is not going to come down, but the lower circle will go up. See, the, sometime the prayer 
doesn't change situations for us. But prayer, prayer changes us for facing the situations. Now that's why Jesus said, that's why the Bible said, pray. Prayer is such an important exercise. It is not a question answer session. It is not about telling God what I want and getting what I want. It is a workout. And the more we do that workout, the more we will be tuned to the frequency of the Holy Spirit so that we will hear from the scripture. That is why if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a consistent prayer life, I would say don't even bother to read the Bible. I'm saying, I, I know, oh, did our pastor say don't read the Bible? That's exactly what I said. That is exactly what I said. I have seen enough and more damage done by this book, by the people who have never approached it with prayer. They have degrees, they have a qualification, they have knowledge, but they approach it with prayer. That's why this Bible has been used, abused, misused. This book has been used to endorse slavery. This book also has been used to liberate slaves from oppression. This book has used to oppress women. This book has used to liberate women. It depending on how you tune to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. It is not the book itself. Otherwise, it is the, just the word. So I strongly encourage all of you to approach, to have a consistent prayer life, aligned with the Spirit of God, to know the author of the book. And that only comes through prayer. And then read the scripture, and the word of the Lord will be loud and clear. God will breathe his words into your soul. And you don't have to go to any pastors. You don't have to sit in any classroom to know how God is speaking to you. And that is the very word of God. So let's, let's take some time for prayer right now. Let the worship team can come forward. You know, I was recently reading the story of Joan of Arc again and again. And when she was around 17 years old, he goes to, she goes to crown prince of France, Charles, and says, the God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me that you have victory over England. You are going to become like a real prince. You are going to be the king. France is going to be liberated. And then she says, God also says that I should lead that army. I am going to be used to to, to, to bring that victory to you. 17-year-old girl going to the crown prince. And she says, I'm hearing from the Lord. I'm hearing from the Lord. And there is an episode where uh, King Charles says, well, why are you hearing from the Lord? Why am I not hearing, this, hearing anything from the Lord? And then Joan of Arc says that the Lord is speaking. Only I am listening. That is the problem. See, it is, the problem is never with God. He is speaking. Who is listening here? Let us have a perfect alignment, our human spirit with small s and the Holy Spirit with 
capital S. That is how the spirit communicates. The spirit speaks to spirit. The capital S spirit will speak to the small s spirit. Father God, we live in a world, the cacophony of voices that is coming from all directions. Hollywood is speaking to us. The politicians are speaking to us. Everybody was loud and noisy with the social media. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry is trying to speak to us. Lord, we pause for a brief moment. Lord, like the disciples asked you, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. The very basic thing we have misappropriated for our own personal gain. So we come to you like Jesus himself did on the Garden of Gethsemane. Not our will, but your will. Continue to speak to us through prayer and through scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.